0: Welcome to another episode of Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you be the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and on this week's show, Steve and I were excited to speak with Evelyn Zolan. Evelyn is the founder of Inspired Financial, which is a fee-only wealth management practice that specializes in serving women in transition in Southern California. We talk at length about what that means, and get deep into how she's built a business that truly serves and supports this target, and we talk at length about how she has successfully built a strong referral network among centers of influence because she's so focused. Evelyn is very actively involved in supporting the industry, has more energy for giving back than I've seen in many people. She served on the board of directors of the Financial Planning Association. She was an adjunct professor in the personal financial planning program at the University of California at Irvine and serves on their advisory board for the Center for Investment and Wealth Management. But that's not enough. She's a community leader who currently serves on the Board of Governors for the Center Club in Orange County, and in the past on the Board of Director for Woman Sage. And I still find it incredibly cool that she served as an intelligence officer in the United States Air Force. And with that, let's get on with the show. So Evelyn, welcome. I am just so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. So Steve and I, I know, have both talked to you about your business and what you've done uh, generally, but also sort of in this area of, of niche marketing. And so we it was an easy um, thing for us to come to a conclusion that we really wanted to talk to you about this because it's, it's really impressive. But maybe I can just sort of start with this concept of, of niche. This is pr- clearly a significant part of your business and your success. So maybe you can give us just a little background on your business and then describe the clients that you're working with today.
1: Sure. The Inspired Financial is a a boutique wealth management firm, and in our profession, of of course, that's all code for different things. So, boutique means that we're of modest size. We're about 135 million in assets under management as part of our wealth management services. When we say wealth management, for us, that means that we are doing comprehensive, deep dive financial planning for all of our clients, and that we have relationships with them and their other professional advisors in support of our clients' goals. We have a team of about six professionals here, uh, Inspired Financial. There are four on our planning team. And then we have two operations slash client services folks that help take good care of our clients. And those clients that I keep mentioning are uh, a pretty unique group. They are predominantly uh, women in transition. And that is the niche that we focus on serving. And when we made the decision to focus on serving women in transition, it's been, oh boy, uh, almost 10 years ago now. Um, we thought initially that would be widows and divorcées and that it's true that that is still the vast majority of new clients that come to us but after having focused on taking care of these ladies and their families for all these years we've decided that women are pretty much always in transition and those transitions uh, take a lot of different forms so the two obvious are the divorce and the loss of a spouse but Losing both parents, selling a small business, and um, a lot in the last few years of what we have dubbed late life involuntary career changes. <laughs> and I'm sure you can you get that scenario. What that is is a woman. She's in her late 50s. She's been a successful um, career woman and is in senior management or even a C level position at a company that is merged, downsizing, no longer needs her services. She's offered a severance package and is told, "Thank you for your work all these years and bye-bye, and now she is left with that question of, am I going to be okay, which is the foundation of a lot of these women in transition, what they're concerned about is, am I going to be okay? And we're yeah. pleased that yeah, we're yeah, able I was to, going to answer ask, that. Is,
2: are, there, are there other th- are there things that tie those three groups together? Because on the surface, there are things that certainly make them different, but are there things that tie them together as well?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And we're asked a lot about the whole really women in transition. Does that mean you won't work with anybody else? And the, 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 the primary driver is, in fact, is it a woman? Um, and secondly, Is she going through a a significant change in her life that warrants um, a a trusted advisor to come alongside her and help educate and empower her so she can make good decisions about navigating this transition and coming out stronger than she ever thought she could on the other side? Having said all of that, these women, um, sometimes their transitions um, don't include um, getting rid of or having lost a Spouse, and so we um, will tease that if she happens to show up with a husband, dad, brother, or uncle on toe, we're not going to kick him to the curb. You're not gonna, you're not gonna ask him to leave. <laughs> no, he doesn't have to sit in the car while we're having our meeting. He is, um, so long as she says so, he is welcome to be part of this. But, uh, you know, all teasing aside, we have found that we are most successful with working with women. Um, and their partners, who um, where the woman is a primary decision maker, or at least a 50% decision maker in her financial choices. And everything that we do at Inspired Financial is geared toward that woman and how she likes to communicate. Now, um, Steve, you asked a great question because, you know, as soon as you put a stake in the ground and claim a niche, this is where I'm going to focus, you know, like the next eight people through the door are not going to be <laughs> that niche. It's just kind of the way Murphy's Law works. And so one thing that we did that was powerful in helping us address that question in advance rather than leaving it to be... Um, sort of an on-the-fly, by-the-seat-of-our-pants decision in the moment was we created an ideal client profile at the same time that we made a decision to focus on this niche. And that ideal client profile is literally a couple of dozen items, considered almost like a checklist of things that, that describes our ideal client client and of course she does not exist this is like an amalgamation of what she would look like and it's based on several of our existing clients but what's really useful about this is that when the exceptions come and they will then you are making an informed decision that is based on um, criteria you've had in place perhaps for years, and it's, it ensures that even if they're not exactly ideal, they're going to be close enough within the framework of what is ideal that you're not going to be moving outside your zone and, and um, sabotaging your, your processes, your communications, and your team's precious time. So now, do you in, in have addition-
0: some, sorry, did you, can I just pick up on that quickly? Did you have any deal breakers in that? So you've got your ideal client profile, but are there absolutely things where you'll say, no, this just isn't right for us?
1: Oh yeah, Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. We do. And interestingly, gender isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. And we actually brought on our first man in transition a few years ago <laughs> and, um, it was, uh, it was a serious enough decision that we actually physically hauled out the, the ideal client profile. We all sat around as a team with the paper copy of this in front of us and kind of went through it together and determined that he was a close enough fit that we went, went ahead and brought him on board. And he's still a great client for us today. But there are deal breakers for us. Uh, for example, somebody that's not interested in a collaborative relationship Not a good fit for us. Somebody whose lead when they come to us is, tell me about the latest investment recommendation you made for your clients. Not a good fit for us. It's obviously, it's not that we're not making investment recommendations for our clients, but it's not the latest. That The latest is a red flag for us that this is somebody that's not taking a long-term goals-based view to this relationship. And that's just not going to be a fit for us. So there are a handful of deal breakers for us. Right. Right.
2: Now, do you, do you distinguish, Evelyn, between um, things that you talk about in public as being aspects of of that ideal client, um, and separate things like what you just mentioned as acceptance criteria, or do you talk about all of those at once?
1: Well, so the uh, it's um, it's not as if we have this ideal client profile posted on our website and say, if you don't fit, need not apply. Um, it's something rather that we hold internally as part of our culture and as part of our uh, our prospecting efforts. And I, um, I anticipate that during our conversation today, we'll ultimately chat about, well, once you've selected a niche, how do you prospect? How do you market to this niche? But for us, uh, it's something that we um, do share with our um, our referral sources, whether those are clients or um, centers of influence. Um, but you have a good point that if, if one of my criteria is that she has to have a purpose in her life beyond herself, and, and for us that means that we want somebody that is um, interested in contributing to their community. Well, that may be something that's important to us, but it's not ne- necessarily something that we're going to lead with. Right. Sure.
2: But even, even I hear a lot of advisors say things like, you know, we want to work with delegators, not that I'm a real big fan of things like that necessarily. But, you know, it, it, I could see that it, that might complicate things. If you're talking to a center of influence, especially, they, they could spot somebody who's in transition, they could spot somebody who's not sure about the decisions that, that, are, that are being thrust upon them. But they may not have a sense of, you know, well, is this a good collaborator? Is this a good, you know, that's, that's why I ask that
1: that's a it's a great question and if I was having that conversation say with a um, a divorce attorney you know we receive a lot of referrals from divorce attorneys and and the way I would actually describe that you know for us in you know in the business we know what we mean when we say a good collaborator or a good delegator and but rather when I was talking with that um, divorce attorney um, I would say um, we're looking for somebody that you think has been a good partner with you. Like, if they, as, um, if they have been a good partner in their professional work with you, they would be a good partner for us as well. And, and an attorney, particularly particularly a divorce attorney, is going to know what that means because they need their clients to be good delegators and good collaborators. And so uh, there are ways that you can craft that messaging without tossing um, out a word that is jargon or lingo to us in the p- financial planning profession.
2: And Julie, let me ask one other thing before mm-hmm. I, and then I'll let you talk. Thank um, you. Thank I, you, Steve. I, 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 I mean, apologize for jumping you know, all just, over. There are a couple <laughs> of no, things I wanted on, to ask you. carry on, carry
0: <laughs> on. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: um, Evelyn, the other thing I wanted to ask about that was, <clears throat> besides developing the ideal client profile, how much other uh, uh, planning or design work did you do about what you wanted to do with these folks before you committed to the niche? Um, so was it, Did you develop the ideal client and say, okay, now we're going to target this person? Or or did you take uh, the design process further before you made that commitment?
1: No, I would would describe it as a concurrent event because we didn't start from zero you know we were sitting around thinking wow we should start a financial planning practice okay who do we want to serve and what do we want to do for them we had an existing practice already and so there's certainly some complexities that come into making a choice with an existing practice to narrow your focus down and so so concurrently that as the, at the same time as we were developing naming the niche Identifying the ideal client profile, we were also um, identifying the service model that we would apply to those ideal clients, those those that niche, and then also how are we going to communicate to them, and how are we going to market to them. Now, clearly, that is a monstrous amount of work. I mean, that is a that's that's it, isn't it? That's everything that every planner wants to decide right, for sure. their clients, yeah. and it's not something that you tackle in a weekend retreat or something like that. However, we identified. I- I'll say. The the low-hanging fruit, the easy things that you know right away are going to have to change. Something as simple as, we stopped putting the Wall Street Journal and Barron's and Financial Times and our magazine rack out in the lobby. I mean, that's ridiculous for a widow or a divorcee. They're not interested in that, so get it out of there. That's simple. That's a very simple illustration. But it's um, an example of things that we could do immediately, but at the same time, knowing we've got bigger work that needs to be done. So we didn't wait till it was finished to focus on bringing in the niche.
0: So one of the things I've noticed when people are successful with niche in particular is that um, it comes from a place of personal passion. So I'd love to know a bit about when you were thinking about the future of your business, why was this so real and so authentic for you? How did you know
1: you could add such value? Sure. Uh, it's a great question, because if it doesn't really resonate, if you really don't get fired up about this particular niche, then you really need to think hard about the focus on them. Um, and it's so for me, um, personally, th- this was a twofold process in landing on this niche. There was the, I'll call it the the purely business, and that is that we um, worked with a consultant. It was a year-long process. Like I was saying to Stephen, this is not something that happened over a long weekend. We spent literally a full year working on um, examining our existing client base, doing some segmentation regarding... um, who do we enjoy working with? Who did we cringe every time they call? And the listeners know exactly what I mean by that. Um, What services did we enjoy providing? Where did we feel like we were being fairly compensated for the work that we were doing? Um, And and so there's this all this slicing and dicing and there was some very clear groups that emerged from that. And um, um, interestingly, one of the groups that emerged that was part of our uh, uh, client base was um, a group of Engineers and scientists big left brain folks um, and another group that emerged from this were a, a group of women that either when they came to us they were going through a divorce or had recently been widowed or during their time with us they had gotten divorced and become widowed and we there were reasons we liked working with them and didn't and it's but then you're staring at these two groups, and these are two very cl- clearly very different demographics there. Yeah. And then to your question, Julie, of so what personally can make me think I would want to choose one of these versus another? And and that is, for me, that is a personal um, question. And because I have been divorced um, not once but twice, which is always a little strange sharing that, especially in this particular forum, but I think it's relevant to this question because... I'm a very smart woman. I am. Um, I like to think I'm in pen- independent. I've got a pretty good grip on my life in general. And yet, when I became, when I got divorced both times, I found myself in a really difficult financial situation afterward. And um, and it's not that I um didn't have my act together, but there was enough going on in my life emotionally. Um, and and personally that I didn't focus on the financial end of it. And candidly, um, like many women, I had done a little bit of divide and conquer in my marriage and I was taking care of some things in the relationship and my spouse was taking care of other things. And so at the conclusion of the marriage, I found myself not as familiar with my finances as I would have wanted to be. And I... And, and I'm a really smart woman, and I'm in the business. The second, <laughs> uh, at the end of the second marriage, I was actually in the financial planning profession early. I, I feel compelled to defend myself a little <laughs> bit. It was very early in the profession, no need, no need. Um, o- only about a month or uh, about a year at that point. But I thought, um, so as I'm now fast forward several years, and now I'm looking at these two groups of demographics, trying to make a choice about focusing on a niche, it actually became pretty easy because I thought it shouldn't happen to anyone else. If I can come alongside a woman at a time when she is not able to really speak for herself, isn't confident in herself, and make sure that she comes out on the backside of this um, better than she thought she could, then then it would have been a good day at work. So that's how all of that connected. It wasn't just a purely emotional, personal thing, right. but there was definitely that overlay on top of the more um, methodical Business approach to this, and
2: we and and I think it also brings up an important point about personal story. I, you you, know, you you are not the first advisor to say to me, "I went through this in my life," and I thought to myself, "Boy, if I'm in the business, and I and this happened to me, then you know, what about these other folks who don't have the benefit of my training and background?" And right. that ends up being a really powerful. Uh, why a really powerful reason for working with that target market? Right. So, Evelyn, how how do you market to women in, in transition and, and make um, you know make your business a magnet for those kinds of folks?
1: So it was kind of interesting when we made the decision to focus on this niche that um, we we assumed or we thought that most of our clients would be coming from referrals from existing clients, because in the past, that had been where the majority of our clients had come from. We would do um, an analysis about every two years and found that about three quarters of our clients were coming from referrals from existing clients. And interestingly, over the years that we've been focusing on this niche, we have found almost a 180 degree reversal from that in that the vast majority of our referrals are coming from centers of influence. So to the question of how do we market to women in transition, um, certainly we want to create an environment that is appealing to them. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. But We are telling our message um, to a lot of centers of influence. This is estate attorneys, divorce attorneys, this is CPAs, this is career coaches and life coaches, because we all know and care about a woman who, when she went through a very difficult moment in her life, really could have benefited from having somebody she trusts to guide her as she was making important financial decisions. That message resonates very clearly with these centers of influence, particularly particularly because they're approached by a lot of financial advisors, and I'm putting that in air quotes, financial advisors who would like to be referral sources from them. And it makes it's difficult for them to distinguish when should they refer a prospective client to one particular advisor versus another. And the clarity of our messaging um, makes it very easy for them to know when to send a client or a referral to us. Uh, how we make a a magnet, um, create a magnet here at Inspired Financial for these referrals is um, what I was mentioning earlier is everything that we do, um, that our our processes, our systems, uh, even how the office is um, configured and decorated, the words that we use when we're communicating make it very apparent that we have been thoughtful, mindful about how we want to focus and serve these women in transition and that resonates with their center these centers of influence uh, as it does with these women and that gets to the other part of how we're marketing to these ladies and their families is that
2: evelyn before before you go on with that i I really just i'd like to put a a punctuation mark on that because you know i think that's i think that's really i mean the key to the power of having a niche experience is your ability to really stand out from other folks. And you said something when you and I have spoken before that, that I've repeated to a lot of people because I, because I think it's so powerful, that you, 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 because you've taken so much time and care to, to prepare this special kind of experience for people, you can credibly go to centers of influence and say, listen, we don't want all of your clients. Right. But if you have a woman who's in this situation, we're your firm.
1: Right. We are the best. And I and you're right that those are words that I actually use. And they, they get that. They understand that. Um, if, uh, uh, attorneys are a perfect example. Attorneys do not try to practice all facets of law. Uh, and a state attorney is not going to try to do immigration law. Um, they're not trying trying to do tort or personal injury. They're focusing on estate law, and so they understand very clearly when I say um, we are the firm for this particular niche, and um, and it, it shows it's um, in the the numbers and the quality of referrals that we receive from our colleagues.
2: It's it's interesting that um, you know it's it... They make a really nice case study because, I, 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 at least here in New York, an attorney is not allowed to say that they're a specialist. They're not allowed to hold themselves out as a specialist. So they have to figure out other ways of describing it. And inadvertently, they sort of fell into the best way to describe a niche, which is, you know, what my practice focuses on. And they they go on to describe it because they they're not allowed to say, I'm a specialist in immigration, you know, Whatever it might be, uh, tax law, whatever. Uh, unless, unless I think they have a very specific specialty degree or designation or something like that. But, but it's it's um, it, it's an, it's similar to how you describe what you say to, to attorneys. It's uh,
1: it's very and it varies from state to state because in California, um, they are they are very um, clearly um, able to articulate what area of law they practice. And another good way of identifying that is most most state bars have um, board certifications for specialty areas in law. And so if somebody indicates that they're board certified in estate planning, that should ring a bell for
2: a well, sure, financial yeah, yeah.
1: planner that yeah, this no, is my, somebody you want to get to know.
2: My my point was that attorneys are not usually th- thought of as gener- as. Uh, as gifted marketers. But um, but at least here in New York, they've, they've uh, uh, accidentally sort of stumbled into a compelling ways of describing their niche because out of necessity. Anyway, but that's sort of beside the point. Um,
1: I was just going to comment really quick that financial planners are not really known as gifted marketers either. And we certainly took a <laughs> well, page a <laughs> from the book of these attorneys <laughs> in New York.
2: Thank goodness, too. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. Yes. But uh um, so anyway so you were you were um, you were talking more about marketing generally beyond that when I so rudely interrupted you.
1: No no, that's okay you brought up an excellent point and that the um, the it needs to go beyond just raising your hand and saying I'm a specialist and having good words although I think that appropriate um, scripting and communication around your niche is essential um, however, you you need to, um walk the talk, so to speak, as well. and the as I was mentioning, our, all of our systems and processes are configured to um, be appealing and comfortable and to resonate with um, these ladies and their families. Um, and, th- and things as simple as the configuration of our office. and um, you know we financial planners don't Think a lot about preparing what in the business, your business is called collateral, the brochures, the one page flyers, and things like that. But going through the exercise of preparing a brochure or a one page summary of our services um, or why we chose to focus on women in transition was actually very powerful because it helped clarify in our own mind why we are particularly skilled at this and why um, from a, um, a personal relational perspective we chose to focus on this niche um, but at the same time it does actually helped a lot with the scripting if you will or the communication because being clear about who you serve and why you serve them is something that um, if you are able to convey it with um, truth and passion and conviction, it resonates and, and people see that and they remember it. They remember it.
2: Are, are there, are there particular stories that, that you tell uh, clients or centers of influence to help explain why you're really good at, at, at that particular niche or, um, or how you got into it?
1: Absolutely. Um, If it's, appropriate. If it's somebody I actually know a little better, I'll share my own story. But beyond that, um, I have, um, sadly, a nearly endless stream of stories to relate around um, a woman who, when she um, got divorced or when her husband died, ended up in a really bad situation because either she didn't have help or she had the wrong kind of help. And back to my earlier comment, with my particular niche, um, unfortunately, we all know stories like that, whether it was our mom, that when our dad died, um, she had no idea how to handle the finances, or when our sister divorced that bum, she never should have married in the first place, that, um, you know, she really could have used some help getting her life and securing that of her kids um, in order. So um, they're actually for, I think, if you Care and are truly interested in serving your niche. The stories come readily. Now back to my earlier conversation. Just because they come readily doesn't mean that they shouldn't be practiced, and and be familiar and comfortable as you're sharing with them.
2: Well, thank thank you for making that point. And that that's one of the things that, um, you know that that comes up a lot is just recalling things off the top of your head and and saying them is is not the same as editing and refining and and understanding how to make a point with somebody. And so thank you for mentioning that. Now, do you um, you take a story and specifically relate it to aspects of your niche experience or services that you provide?
1: Um, Yes, there will be some tailoring around a particular service um, or facet of relationship, uh, depending on... What is the center of influence I'm speaking with or who is the woman that I am speaking with? Obviously, widows um, and estate attorneys um, warrant widow stories, whereas a family law attorney would warrant divorce or divorcee would warrant divorce-related stories. And so you, want, you don't want to have a single arrow in your quiver, so to speak. You want to have a, a library of stories. And again, it can't sound contrived and slick, but rather um, familiar and passionate and caring. And, and that is what people remember.
2: Right, exactly. Well, excellent points, great points. Now, once you've um, introduced yourself to a new center of influence and and started to have that conversation, how how do you maintain the relationship with that COI?
1: Uh, Well, isn't this the trick for financial planners? Just uh, thinking about our earlier um, conversation that we're not exactly legendary for our marketing skills, (laughs) but, um, but there's a handful of things that I think we can do that are, um, easy. Um, one is that if you have a shared client with this center of influence, you have um, you have an easy open door to stay in touch with them all the time um, regarding the, the service that you're providing for the client, questions that you would like to answer on behalf of the client. Um, there's just a lot that you can do to stay in touch with centers of influence for existing clients. And that needs to be Cultivated. You you can't let that go dormant. In every 18 months, reach out to the CPA. There, I think there are things that you can do on a quarterly or at least twice a year basis um, to reach out and touch these folks, so that they recall. Oh yes, Inspired Financial. That is that amazing firm that does hmm. such great work with my clients and other women in transition. Now, if this is a center of influence that you met at a networking or event, uh, a networking event or le- no less. Um, Intimately, less formally, uh, then there are still things that you can do. Our firm actually has made a a pretty uh, significant commitment to uh, a digital presence, and we actually blog twice a month on various topics some technical, some more lifestyle. And once a month, we will send out a blog digest that um, includes little summaries of these blogs, but then also a little bit about what's going on in the office and also. What we're doing as far as our, our professional outreach, that'll be things like, oh, Mark is speaking at this conference. Eve- Evelyn is giving this presentation to this women's group. Or we were featured in this article or look at this video that was prepared about our, our firm. And that is a great way to keep you top of mind for centers of influence. I know a lot of planners get totally overwhelmed at the idea of doing digital marketing or, or blogging. But the the encouragement I would have is that, um, first of all, you don't have to go it alone. There are amazing professionals who can help you create a cohesive strategy and, and implement it in a manner that doesn't completely ab- absorb your life because I know you have a business to run, clients to serve, and oh yeah, a personal life as well. But the more ominous um, encouragement is going to be that that train is pretty much out of the station and you must be on board or you're going to be left behind. You are deluding yourself, Mr. Planner or Ms. Planner. If you don't think that your prospective clients aren't looking for that kind of information, and nobody's going to hire you because you've got a blog or not, but it's a data point, it's a touch point in their journey to selecting their financial planner, and you need to make sure you've got that data point or touch point available for them.
2: Yeah, well, it, you know, it's it's a gra- that's a great point, and uh, I, I uh, given where things have gone, I I, I think. Um... I would actually disagree with that uh you know people would not hire you because you do or do not have a blog. I don't think that someone would look at your blog and instantly say oh this is the I where do I find this person I'm going to hire him right now. However, if if you don't have you know, current content and, and consistently posted content on your site, I think that as people do their due diligence and look at different advisors, they see one that's just got a stale website that hasn't been updated in, a, you know, even in a few months, they just keep moving on to the next right. one. So while while your blog cannot get clients for you, the absence of one can lose clients for you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that this is an ongoing... Process. I know we're nearing the end of our time, but I want to get one more plug in on this that it, this doesn't have to be a one and done final answer all-at-once kind of a, a an approach. I, even for us, and I feel like we're a, a little bit ahead of the pack as far as a niche and our marketing efforts toward this niche, particularly on the digital front, but this is a constantly evolving effort. And so for, let me share an example of that, is that r- right now our blogs and blog digests are... are Kind of universal. They're going, they're intended for a very broad audience clients, prospects, and centers of influence alike. And we are in the process of um, doing a little bit of segmentation around that, and we'll be um, doing some COI specific blogs. Um, and we will be carving out our centers of influence into separate groups. And, and we're, we, we're trying to determine how crazy do we go with this? Do mm. we block them? Do we carve out our CPAs? Do we carve out our divorce attorneys, our estate attorneys, etc.? And and see how we haven't decided how targeted we're going to go with this, but we are going to start creating content specifically for our centers of influence um, to demonstrate to them not only how, Um, how we care about relationship and we focus on this this niche um, at the highest level but to demonstrate our technical expertise as well and enhance their technical expertise. It demonstrates we're experts, we're here to stay, and we're good collaborative partners. It's the win-win-win from a Center of Influence's perspective.
2: You know that that's a fascinating idea, and I think I think that is really current thinking. I, I think that's that's great. Can we get really granular for just a second? Because I know we we need to wrap up now. But what blogging platform do you use?
1: Um, we use um, it's it's run through our website actually, and we're using WordPress um, okay. is the um, the I guess the software that yeah. we're using for that. But and you hear me hesitating because I was thinking, well, I use Nate. That's who I'm. Well, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> well, right. there. there's. I mean, there's a lesson right there. Is you know, this is how you don't let it, you know, eat your whole life. Is uh, is you delegate, you know, and you have that's, other people do right. that. But yeah. So and and then does that? Do those posts get distributed by email once you put them up on WordPress?
1: Absolutely. We're using, um, we well, the yes, for those who have descri- subscribed to our feed, they get it that way. And then once a month, that blog digest that I described to you, we send to our um, clients' referrals and um, COIs via MailChimp is oh, the okay. <clears throat> service we're using for that. Oh, so but, interesting. So, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, but but you landed on something which is that um, while I'm, I'm all for this and I embrace it, um, this is not my area of expertise and I'm a firm believer in outsourcing those things that are not my core competency. It's worth every penny to pay somebody else to be the expert so that I don't have to figure it out or... Um, or make a big mistake and have something go that I really didn't want to go. So I've got our, we have an outstanding partner that helps us make sure things get posted and gets released to our um, COIs referrals or excuse me, prospects and clients on a timely basis.
2: Oh, that's great. And, and, you know, I just picked something up that was interesting that, that, that not, so not all your blog posts go out by email, just the, uh, just the summaries, they're just the, um, just the blog up digest up monthly. The digest that's goes up. Right. Okay, and interesting. That's, um,
1: and that's by choice because <clears throat> we do. We want to be welcome, and our our open rate is over fifty percent. Uh, we have a very high open rate, and I. I I, that's that's heartwarming. I feel like part of that is because we do have good content, but I, I've got to believe that part of it is also because we don't pile it into their email. I mean, they, they get emails yeah. from so many other sources and our, I want ours to be welcome. And so we are um, we're careful with how much quantity we send to them.
2: Excellent point. Well, uh, Evelyn, we are out of time, and I could spend <clears throat> lots more time speaking with you, and I really appreciate how, much, how generous you've been um, in spending so much time with us. So um, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, like the name of your firm, you're an inspiration to us and, and all of your thinking and, and how you've crafted this for your clients, and, uh, and thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Steve and Julie, and um, I hope to come back sometime.
0: Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.